exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. Bringing you sports from NBA to NHL to NFL and more. But more importantly, bringing you the full rundown on MSU Spartan Sports. We cover it all. Get us on the phone at 432-3893. And now, the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Another Monday, another show. Welcome to the Spartan Sports Wrap on 88.9 WDBM East Lansing. I am your host every Monday, as usual, Alex Sharg. The number for the show, 517-432-3893. Again, 517-432-3893. If you have any questions, topics, concerns, anything about today's show, that is the number to call. You can also tweet at 89FM Sports Rat if you have an answer to our question of the week. If you have a question for myself or David DeFever, who will be joining us in the last half hour, who is the co-host, uh, that will be your answer in basically method of choice. Again, welcome to the Spartan Sports Wrap. It's almost voting day. Tomorrow will be the day. Uh, we're going to get later into the show a topic about athletes and voting. How influential are they? Uh, there are a couple athletes right now endorsing Romney and Obama, so we'll get to that a little bit later. It is starting to get chilly. Uh, you know, it's min- it's starting to get towards early November. Uh, as we saw last football game for MSU, weather uh, definitely taking a little bit of hold as well as the fan and uh, and attendance from the students in the student section against Nebraska, which was in dire straits on Saturday. Students really not showing up. We're going to get to that how and why later in the show. Again, if this is your first time tuning in, let me explain to you how the show is set up. We start with MSU Sports, then we jump to local, then we get a little bit of your national. We'll get to national a little bit as well. We have listeners from all over. We have listeners as far as San Jose State University, as far as Miami, Florida. We do have listeners all over the country at the Spartan Sports Wrap. And again, uh, David DeFever, who is the co-host, will be joining us in the last half hour of the show. Uh, can't wait to have him on, and he's going to talk a little bit about some Detroit Tiger baseball as well as Detroit Piston basketball. Uh, so many topics to talk about with those two subjects. It's that off season. It's going to be a lot of decision making for the Detroit Tigers. Who are they going to keep? Who are they going to let go? And with the Detroit Pistons, they opened their season up. Uh, it was quite the contest last night in Los Angeles against the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, they dropped. They got blown out of the water in L.A., uh, as many expected. And we're going to get to that later as well. As I said earlier, we do have our question of the week. And how it works is each week we ask a question at the Sports Wrap. If you guess the question correctly, you will have the opportunity to win a gift certificate courtesy of Pita Pit. For more information on the gift certificate, you can visit www.petapitusa.com. Again, the Impact would like to thank Peter Pitt for their continued support and remind listeners that they may win once per week. So uh, the question of the week this week is, name two Detroit Piston players over the age of 30. There are two guys this year. As you know, uh, we're going to get to this later. They have a young squad this year. They open their season. They get rid of a lot of guys. They're in a rebuilding season with a lot of draft picks. And they've got two guys over the age of 30. Who are they? If you know the answer, 517-432-3893. You could also tweet at 89FM Sports Wrap if you know the answer as well. Uh, if you want to win yourself some Pita Pit Bucks, you need to tweet or call into this sports wrap. And again, the question of the week, name the two Detroit Piston players over the age of 30 on this year's team. So, I give you the opportunity. If you want to win some Pita Bucks, you definitely need to tweet or call in. We had a question the last three weeks. Nobody could get it, and it was... After the Aaron Burbridge performance against Indiana, who had the second best performance as an MSU freshman back in 2004? The answer to that question was Terry Love, who was a wideout for the Spartans, uh, started two of his years at MSU. Uh, he sure put on quite the display uh, as a freshman, having that big game You know, back in 2004 when we were in a much different place. Uh, definitely different with Mark D'Antonio now, and we're going to open the show uh, talking a little bit about uh, MSU football and that last game. But before we get to that, real quickly, you know, we do have a little bit of our national news. And Chad Ocho Zero, uh, he is still in the news. I- I've been saying this ever since we started. We will keep continuing to talk about him 
until the media stops and until he stops getting himself into a pickle with the media. So last week, Chad Johnson, he's turning to yoga to cope with his struggles. He's looking to maybe get on the team on, on the Houston Texan organization. Uh, Chad was also accused of stalking Evelyn Lozada, who was his ex, on Twitter five days ago. And this week, Chad Johnson shows up to the Florida Gator game. Uh, I think that was maybe more of some motivation. He spoke with some of the teammates. And the reason I bring this up is because with everything that's been going on with him uh, negatively, it still is amazing to see how much respect comes from even the college organizations and, and college teams. The Florida Gators, uh, if they want their wide receivers to be you know, modeled by Chad Johnson, I mean, this is a guy who was dropped from the Miami Dolphins, who has dealt with off-field issues, yet he's going to be the guy meeting some of the players and talking with the team. So your own opinion on that, judgmental as you may, as you may be, but uh, very interesting to see Chad Johnson as well. And of course, the Twitter war continues with Evelyn Lozada, his ex, and Chad Johnson. Uh, Evelyn Lozada calling out one of his, uh, his exes and really talking about uh, how she really went behind his back and, and basically bunch of Hollywood drama and it still goes on I think in a week or two we're going to probably start stop talking about Chad Ocho Zero and and maybe jump to something else but for now it still stands and he still is wrecking havoc with the media so like I said we're going to start the show off with MSU football Uh, come in they come into the game they're playing the Nebraska Cornhuskers at home on Saturday Uh, it was a performance uh, that I'm not very proud of they ended up losing that game 28-24. to uh, Le'Veon Bell on the day played very, very well. He wrecked himself up a bunch of yards. Uh, he wrecked havoc against that team. Uh, aside from Le'Veon Bell, uh, there are a couple other guys that really performed well for, uh, uh, for the MSU Spartans. Uh, let's look at a guy like Andrew Maxwell. I mean, this guy having a lot of issues with composure. He comes into the game. And he actually played pretty well. Uh, he found a lot of open receivers. He completed a lot of his passes. Uh, when it comes to the defense, uh, they played pretty well as well. And what a lot of fans are talking about with that game was the call on the last Nebraska drive within the last minute of the game. So for those of you who did not catch it, MSU is leading 24-21. to uh, Minute 30 to go, and Nebraska gets the ball uh, at the 20-yard line of MSU, they drive down the field. Uh, Taylor Martinez, the guy who has a lot of media hype, completes a pass in the end zone to win the game. Uh, they tack it on with six seconds to go. They win 28-24. to uh, MSU, they did have the ball at around the 50-yard line. And it was fourth and two, and they decide to punt. Uh, that is definitely a question that many people are talking about. Should they have gone for it on 4th and 2, they were deep, they were getting into the Nebraska zone, and they decided to not go for it. And a lot of people, a lot of fans, a lot of coaches have came out and described the the process that went about in choosing that decision to punt. And with the decision to punt, I want to talk about for a second uh, Michigan State's Mike Sadler, because this guy uh, had a lot of punts during the game. He was recognized by the conference for his great play. Uh, He did do very, very well. He was uh, recognized for his performance against Nebraska. He was honored by the Big Ten. And how the Big Ten honored him exactly is he was named Special Teams Player of the Week. And that was after, you know, he had 46.6 yards and seven punts. Three of those down in the 20-yard line of Nebraska. Uh, this is the second Big Ten special teams honor of his entire career. Uh, but, you know, overall, even though he did play well, Taylor Martinez led the Cornhuskers from 10 points down in the fourth, and they still came out on top over the Spartans. So, with all the questions that, you know, that are still happening, let's just start it off. Since we are talking about special teams, let's talk it about with Dan Conroy. Dan Conroy misses another field goal again. It seems to me that every single game we see Dan Conroy miss a field goal. And if he made the field goal, a lot of the games that have 
been lost within the last couple minutes of the year. Ohio State, Nebraska, Iowa. If Dan Conroy makes the field goal in all three of those games, it could be a very different result. But I want to talk about an article that came out at MLive. And Diamond Leung, who is was a former ESPN writer, we did have him on the sports wrap, he came on with a little article about Dan Conroy. And Dan Conroy uh, says that he has done a good job. He says, quote, I don't want to be too critical of myself, but I'm always the hardest person on myself, and I don't think I've done a good job this season. So I think I could do better, and I have done better. So even though he says that he could do better, apparently uh, he thinks that he uh, he has been a little bit better. He says he doesn't think he's done a good job, but he says he has gotten better. But personally, I'm not seeing the results. I'm not seeing Dan Conroy uh, completing all of his field goals. This guy is 17 for 25 on the year. He's missed eight field goals through eight games. Now, that's a field goal per game average. Is that a typical Michigan State kicker? Let's go to past kickers. Uh, we've we've seen all kinds of players on this MSU team. But from what I can remember, I don't remember a kicker that missed one field goal per game. 517-432-3893. Again, 517-432-3893. Why is Dan Conroy, has he done it for you? A lot of people don't think he has. He doesn't think he has. But he says he has done better to this point. But I personally don't see how he's improved as a kicker. If you think otherwise, feel free to tweet at 89FM Sports Rap or, of course, call in. Aside from the special teams, since we did talk about that for just a second, uh, there's a lot of issues that come uh, with even many people, uh, you know, obviously besides the fact that the special teams do impact impact the game. There are many players uh, that have impacted uh, some of the success that the Spartans have uh, have had in some of the in some of the failures that they've had. Let's talk about you know a miscellaneous issue. It's called the referees. Last play, they're driving down the field, and there's a pass interference called against Darquez Denard, which clearly wasn't a pass interference. Mark D'Antonio, after the game, was interviewed by many media members. Uh, it was asked what he thought about the bad call, and. He, of course, took the very proper uh, yet uh, very simple approach and, and displayed how you know the refs are paid to do their jobs. It's out of my control. Uh, not really downing the refs and, and doubting their abilities, but yet exclaiming that it really is out of his control. And he's not saying it was a bad call. I think he did the perfect thing there. But if you think otherwise, should have D'Antonio gone on a rant about the refs? We've seen it before with Mike Gundy. We've seen it before at Oklahoma State. We've seen it before with Dennis Green. We've seen it all over when it comes to football. Now, with a game like that, I mean, this is this is the, uh, the the Spartans are still one game away from making a bowl, and they have two games left. Many people did not think the Spartans would be in this position currently, and it begged to differ. But uh, I'm very, very uh, unpleased with how the Spartans have been playing this year. Yes, they have had a lot of close games. Yes, the Big Ten, uh, all of Big Ten games are not a guaranteed win. But I think that we're at a different level as a Spartan program than we were two years ago when we were losing four or five games a year. This is the Mark D'Antonio era. As Jack Ebling wrote, this is the heart of a Spartan era. I am not so sold that the Michigan State Spartans are a 5 to 6 loss team. 517-432-3893. Is this team short of your expectations? Have they met them? Uh, what do you see in these last two games to go? Are they a Gator Bowl team? Are they a Buffalo Wild Wing Bowl team? That is, if they lose against Northwestern this uh, this this upcoming home uh, when they do play next. And I got to talk about as well, uh, Benny Fowler. Uh, he's another guy that uh, uh, I'm looking into because he came out and Another article was written by something that he said. And Benny Fowler is claiming that the offense was the reason for their loss against Nebraska. And I will read you what Benny Fowler said uh, to Diamond Leung. This is what Benny Fowler claims on the Nebraska game. 
And before I do read this, though, sorry for the delay, but before I do read this, I want to exclaim that this is coming from a receiving core who has not been playing well at all. Benny Fowler, Keith Mumphrey, Aaron Burbridge. Burbridge might be the only guy that has met expectations, but Fowler, Mumphrey, Tony Lippett, these guys have dropped countless number of passes, have not been meeting up expectations. Uh, This is what Fowler said. I think we'll get six, seven wins. We just have to move forward and get ready for our next opponent. This loss does put a little damper on us, but it gives us a, a chance to learn from this loss and move on mentally, end quote. He continues on to say, quote, these last couple games, I've been pretty much comfortable. Ruchar has some plays tagged for me, so I'm feeling really comfortable out there, end quote. Yet, he did explain how, you know, they did go through the same thing in 2009. They lost some tough ones. They came back the next season, won some great games. Uh, but he is citing that uh, the offense didn't finish. They do take the part. But at the same time, uh, besides for the Darquez Denard blown call, this offense, this game against Nebraska, played considerably well in the last three quarters than they probably have in most games this year. If you feel otherwise, of course, tweet or call in 517-432-3893. We do have a winner uh, when it comes to the sports rap giveaway. Uh, Zachary Tadero, you are correct. Corey McGetty, Tayshawn Prince are two guys on the Piston team that are over 30. So you won yourself some Pita Pit Bucks. Uh, I'll, we'll give you a, uh, I'll tweet at you after the show about how to obtain those that prize. Uh, so congratulations, Zachary Tadero. You won yourself some Pita Pit Bucks. But before we get to the Detroit Pistons, we gotta st- we gotta continue talking about this MSU football team. Let's talk a little bit about the Bull. If they make it to the Gator Bowl, this was a team that almost went to Pasadena. This is a team that could have been to the Outback Bowl again, but they're now fighting just to get a bowl game. Period. And if they beat Northwestern, they get to the bowl. Northwestern with Pat Fitzgerald, the way he's been recruiting, it's gonna be a, a definitely a, a tough match. I don't, you know, expect that to be a chip off the shoulder. Uh, Northwestern has some of the best receiving cores in the Big Ten. I mean, this is comparing to an MSU receiving core who has been uh, lacking a lot of what people thought, and it's it's gonna be an interesting mystery to me on on how this team will perform when it comes to crunch time with two games left. So do they win the next two games? Are they going to beat Northwestern? 517-432-3893. You could also tweet at 89FM Sports Wrap uh, if you have any questions, concerns, topics, anything you want us to talk about. And again, congratulations to Zachary Tadero for winning our question of the week. Uh, I'm going to jump right now to a little bit of MSU basketball, despite everything that's been going on with football. Because this MSU basketball team, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope with this team this year. They opened their first two games, one against a Northwood team. Uh, that was their opener. Uh, they did win that game, and they also beat St. Cloud State. Uh, they did beat them last week. So even with those two football games, uh, excuse me, with those two basketball games, there was a lot to look for on this team. Let's start with the freshman. Let's start with Gary Harris. There's been a lot of hype. There's been a lot of hype with him, and there's been a lot of hype with Denzel Valentine. But when we get into those freshmen, there comes the question because if those two guys are playing so well, you know, when it comes to basketball, I'd like to see them maybe attend the football games because of all the fans that have not been in the seats. Let's go to the phones. You are on the Spartan Sports Rep. Hey, this is Ryan. I was just calling to say, you know, I heard you talking a little bit earlier, and I think the sole blame for Nebraska falls on the defense, man. Yeah. They had them 4th and 10 at the end of the game, mm-hmm. and they didn't make a stop. Uh, Martinez had two huge runs during the game, mm-hmm. and they couldn't stop. Uh, so, you know, they, they Blaine can go wherever you want. Uh, you know, we wanted a top-10 defense here in the nation, and they claimed that they were a top-10 defense in the nation, and Spartans just need to step up and shut somebody down finally. Yeah, you brought up a great point. Fourth and 10, and this was not the first fourth-down conversion that Nebraska compete, that, that they completed, Ryan. There were several plays in the game on fourth down that they just dominated that defense. Now, does it come from the corners? Does it come from the front seven? Who is it for you, Ryan? You know, that's that's the tough question. 
You know, I mean, uh, all year long they've played as a complete package, and it seems to be the total package that's letting them down. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, you know, at that point, you know, I can't point a finger on anyone. It's just like, hey, when it comes down to it, you guys wanted to be the best. Yeah. It, you step up and you be the best when it's time for you to shine. I mean, their offense did plenty to have that game won for them. Now, you know, it wasn't a great offensive game. It was a good offensive game. They put them in a position to win, and blown call or not, it's that 4th and 10 that lost that game. Interesting, Ryan, because, you know, I beg to differ a little bit. I'd say that with Benny Fowler coming out to the media, I don't know if you were listening earlier, I talked about what he said. He says the offense fell short, and that was the reason for losing. Now, you know, I do maybe cite for some extent because Le'Veon Bell you know, at that at the end of the game in the fourth quarter, they're driving down the field with about two minutes to go. As you remember, they're trying to get into Nebraska territory, trying to end the game so Nebraska doesn't have another drive. So they get into Nebraska territory. There's a fourth right. and two, fourth and two around right. the fifty yard line, and they decide to punt. Now, Le'Veon Bell, sure, he had a great game, 190 yards, but there's also you know a lot of falls with the receiver. There were drop balls again. There were instances, Ryan, where they the coaches had play calls that maybe could have been a little different. Now, it, beside for the fourth and two, does that play any role in, in the MSU loss, or do you think it's more of that defense? Well, you know, I, I it all comes into play, but, I mean, the, the, the kind of focus that I had all going up to this game was Spartan defense, Spartan defense, top ten defense. Uh, stop the running game, you know, number one in the Big Ten, that sort of thing. Right. And, you know, when it comes down to that, I say, did your offense put you in a position to win the game? Mm-hmm. I think that they did. You know, could they have played better? Of course, you can always play better. But were you ahead, you know, near the end of the game? Did you have a chance to make that one exclamation point stop and seal the deal? You know, and, you know, that's, that's where I, that's, that's just kind of where I'm like, you know, it was a missed opportunity, and unfortunately, you know, our defense was on the field when it happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, unfortunate to say the least. Ryan, I appreciate you calling in. I'm, I'm just going to ask you one more thing before I get before uh, you get going here. They're fighting for a Gator Bowl, and they're also climbing their way into a possible Buffalo Wild Wing Bowl, <laughs> which many people thought would be maybe a MAC team. Uh, Ryan, right. what is the ideal bowl for this team do they win their next two, and are they going to be a Gator Bowl contender? Hey, you know, ideal bowl is the Rose Bowl, and that, that may have passed us by. Um, after this, I think any chance for uh, Michigan State to recruit and show up in the uh, postseason, if you want to call it that, yeah. and get a bowl game is a good game. Um, you know, I like D'Antonio. I think they've got strong things going forward. It's just the little intangibles that get extremely frustrating during a season like today. Yeah, and how do you preach that? Because there are so many little intangibles. You know, finishing games is really what's cost this team. How how do you go to a team and talk about how to finish besides running your two minute drills, running the well, simple drills that each team should you know really excel in every single day in and day out? Right. Well, you know, and I I hope this is Big Ten wide. I hope that the coaches are preaching to these kids that, hey, we are the Big Ten. We deserve respect in the football playing field, and but now we need to go out and get it. And, you know, it, it, it's, I don't want to say a man-up mentality, but it's you need to play to where you want to be received. You know, play yeah. up to that expectation, and, and, and you push forward. You just keep going. Yeah. Like Antonio says, you know, next game, next game, next game, well, that next game's going to come to an end sooner or later, and you want this game to be the one where you can finally say, man, Michigan State was great today. So Right, and even with that next game, I mean, what's, what's up with the attendance, Ryan? We saw Nebraska, D'Antonio, I don't know if you know this, Ryan, but D'Antonio sent a letter out to MSU students talking about how this is the first game against Nebraska as a Big Ten opponent. Your football team needs you in your seat with your game face on, and they did not come. So yeah, see, yeah, and that's that that's disheartening to say the same. I'm glad that Izzo came out and called them out on that. Um, you know, you you've earned the right to be a student at Michigan State University. You know, you, they don't just pick people off the street. Uh, you endure you 
earn the right to cheer for great teams in great facilities. Right. And unfortunately, when they didn't show up, I mean, that was, that was even more disheartening. So. Yeah, and, and and but like, what what is the answer? I mean, do you think this team isn't these guys aren't showing up because the students expect a Rose Bowl team? Do you think that the reason they're not showing is because this team fell short of all expectations and it's a one and done kind of situation? Well, you know, the unfortunate thing that happens is right at this time of year, uh, Michigan State basketball picks up. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so if you can go watch the uh, Spartan B-ball team uh, smack somebody in exhibition versus where you should be supporting your football team uh, against a very nice foe like Nebraska, uh, I think sometimes uh, the student minds just get twisted. And unfortunately, you know, students can't be everywhere, but they definitely need to be somewhere on Saturday and they didn't show up. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on the show as usual, Ryan. You have some great insights, some great facts. And you know what? I hope you call in next week because we may see a very different Spartan team and potential Gator Bowl contender. I certainly hope so. hope they're fired up, man. Go green. Go away. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. Bye. All right. So with Ryan and what he was saying, we're going to jump to Michigan State basketball. It's starting to get to Spartan basketball season. Uh, It's starting to get very interesting with how some of these freshmen are displaying their abilities. Let's start with Denzel Valentine. Denzel Valentine, a local guy, Lansing Sexton, can play a lot of different positions on the floor. A lot of people comparing him to not necessarily Magic Johnson, but a Magic Johnson position type of guy, a guy who can run the floor. He's used to, you know, he, he's really used to, you know, spreading out the floor. He, he's, you know, Michigan State, of course, they're, they're an up-and-tempo team. Uh, and Valentine looked good. He's he's definitely not going to get the majority of playing time when it comes to small forward uh, with Brandon Dawson. But there's another guy on this MSU team that is absolutely going to get a lot of playing time, and that's Gary Harris. And Gary Harris, uh, as Josh Mansour, who is the MSU State News, uh, he covers football and basketball, he, he talks about it with Coach Izzo. He seemed to just fit. That was the theme that many fans and analysts and, and journalists out there are saying about Gary Harris. And the coaches do agree. He just fits. He didn't do anything in particular to really take a hold on the game. He he guarded real well. He, 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 he can certainly score. He's definitely a sharpshooter. And not only that, but he definitely makes plays. And that's something that this team is really looking for when it comes to who's going to step up on a team Know that has had a lot of injuries, a lot of off the court issues, and a lot of guys just not coming through. And Gary Harris might certainly be the answer. So I asked the question five one seven four three two three eighty nine three. Do you see Gary Harris as a playmaker role as the season continues, or is that more in Brandon Dawson's shoes? Uh, if not, even Keith Apple. Uh, 517-432-3893. Ryan, just calling in about MSU football, and we're going to change the topic to MSU basketball. So if you have your expectations with Gary Harris, what is his role? This te- what is this role uh, as the season continues? Uh, is he going to be the sharpshooter? Is he going to be the playmaker? Uh, there's a lot to look forward to. Now with the two wins, a lot of positives in those wins, but there certainly were a lot of negatives. And Let's start with Derek Nix. With all the off-the-court off issues, Derek Nix, named captain, uh, a lot of promises made by Izzo. This was a team vote. This is the first year that the coaches did not you know, really have a mandatory say in who would be captains. They left it up to the players, and the players trust Derek Nix. The players see a lot in Derek Nix, but they also expect a lot out of Derek Nix, and some of the expectations for him have fallen short within these last two games. Let me tell you why. Last game, Derek Nix had three travels. Three. This isn't elementary school basketball. This certainly isn't this certainly isn't Detroit Pistons basketball. This is MSU basketball. And that is a totally different level of play when you get guys like Draymond Green and Paul Davis who have left their mark as MSU big men. Now, of course, there is Adrian Payne. There is Alex Ghana, who we'll get to in, in just a little bit. But with Derek Nix, I'm not impressed with his performance thus far. 517 432 
We'll get to more about Derek Nix when we return from this short break on the Spartan Sports Wrap. Impact 89FM. You're listening to Impact Exposure. We've just received word of an invasion. Speak quickly, maggot. Is it those Canadians again? I don't know, sir. We just heard that Monday at 8 p.m. the impact will be invaded. You stupid ninny. That's the Asian invasion. It's the poppiest, catchiest, and all-around toe-tapping his music out of the Korea, Japan, and China. But, sir, I'm no good with Asian dialects. Shut up and listen to the music, private. That catchy beat knows no language barrier. Now move out, everyone. Sir, yes, sir. The Asian invasion. Monday nights from 8 till 10. On- the impact. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Thursday nights from 10 until 2 a.m. Listen to the Hours of Power, the scariest and only metal show in the mid-Michigan area. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. Welcome back to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact 89 FM. If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Alex Sharg, and to my left, David DeFever, setting foot in the studio with his mark being left and finally moving forward. David, uh, let's start. I mean, it's voting season. Uh, let's not get too political on the air here, but uh, uh, are you excited? Are you going to be voting tomorrow? What's uh, your deal? I'm actually not hitting the polls, but I am covering it for the School of Journalism, so I'll definitely be... Uh know talking to people how they feel about it uh we'll see tomorrow's results and see if there's a change in the white house or not very good and i will see you there as well covering it but as we talked about before the break uh we did have our our regular call caller ryan from lake lansing park he called in talked a little bit about msu football how the defense really lost the game uh we did start to get a little bit into msu basketball a little bit about denzel valentine a little bit about gary harris well not really a little bit, a lot about Gary Harris because he certainly played well these first two games against Northwood and St. Cloud State. Uh, before we get into Derek Nix, like I said before the break, we'll be talking more about what has been falling short for Derek Nix and his expectations. But the St. Cloud State game, David, that featured Tom Izzo's nephew. He knocked down one three-pointer, uh, didn't really compete as well uh, as many would thought, but he did get in the game uh Probably led to the reason of scheduling for Tom Izzo. I'm sure he did, you know, want to play, you know, against his nephew, get a little exposure for his nephew's school. Uh, but yeah, that, that certainly was nice to see. Uh, but back to Derek Nix, uh, you have to remember, and this is why I say that he fell short of my expectations these first two games. This is Northwood and St. Cloud State. This isn't Connecticut. This certainly isn't the worst team in the Big Ten in Penn State or Minnesota. And primarily, this isn't even an MHC school. These are two double A teams, you know, that sure, they're very good in their respective leagues and divisions, but you know, this there's a significant difference when it comes to size, when it comes to you know, when it comes to ability. And Derek Nix has easily over forty pounds of muscle more than every single big man on that court. And for him to have three travels against Northwood, three. Three travels. And this is an offseason where Derek Nix has worked his butt off, you know, to get back on the court and play MSU basketball. I mean, they did keep him here after quote unquote DUI, but they kicked Chris Allen off for violating team rules. So, you know, for me, my expectations when it comes to a ceiling is all the way up there. But I think it is for the coaches, but I'm not sure if He's met all expectations for Izzo as well. I mean, your thoughts on Nick's to start, David? No, he he hasn't produced as a big man, and being a leader of this team, he should have definitely led by example. And we didn't see it in the first two games against Northwood and State Cloud State. I was I was got to attend the Northwood game, and I wasn't satisfied with the first half play. There was a lot of just um, just turnovers that were they're unintentional like they weren't even there weren't even forced turnovers turnovers and northwood just kept getting the ball they only had a six-point lead at, at the halfway mark of this game right and then just to see i don't know we've been hyping up Derek Neeks to be the big man to be the leader of this team along with bird who in my opinion has just fired blanks these first two games we haven't seen much of him didn't even start the second game against st cloud state 
I, I just haven't seen the, the top potential and like what we hype these guys up to be. I just haven't seen that skill set on the court yet. Yeah, and besides for the skill set on the court, uh, let's talk about some of the packages that Izzo's gone with. Starting five, Appling, Gary Harris, the freshman, Dawson, Payne, and Nix. Now, we've seen many guys, many different player sets in that game. We saw Russell Bird play with Alex Garner. We saw Adrian Payne play with Russell Bird. But for me, I mean, what is your ultimate lineup? I mean, are you going to stick with the same starting five that Izzo has started the last two games? We've got Connecticut in a week. Yeah, we have a lot to prepare for, too. Because the guys that we're substituting in, you see good things from other guys like Trice. I I really liked his performance this weekend coming in off the bench. Yeah, um, Gary Harris is he's been stepping up as the young freshman that we thought he'd be. This player, he may be you know coming up out of nowhere faster than we expected. And now we got uh, Payne back up in the front. I mean, him and Nick's should be controlling the boards. And I do like Appling. And I, I do like the lineup that Izzo's been keeping, but the way that he distributes guys off the bench for those players concerns me. I mean, I know the first two games, you know, we're seeing what we got. They were, doing, they were subbing everyone out on one whistle. So, I mean, we have a lot to see from this basketball team come UConn. So, I mean, we'll never know until the season actually starts. Absolutely. Now, uh, your prediction for the season opener against UConn, this is a team that... You know, is not certainly the same uh, Calhoun team that we've seen in years past in NCAA tournaments. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they they don't really have necessarily the highest ranking coming in, but this is this is a team that will compete. Yeah, and, definitely. And if we can fix the problems as a Michigan State basketball team, I see them coming away with a win. But you can never count out UConn. I mean, Big East, they're a high competitive school. You know, they're nothing like a Northwood or a St. Cloud State. But um, I see the Spartans coming away with a victory. I mean, last year they lost against North Carolina. Well, hopefully we can turn that around and get a W in Germany. Right. Now, jumping from MSU basketball, let's talk about Detroit Piston basketball. They play their first set of games. They lose all of them. Uh, way to start the year at Detroit Pistons. Uh, expectations for this team weren't too high. Uh, they were projected by many, uh, I, th- I think spe- specifically in Sporting News, they were the second worst team in the in the Eastern Conference. Uh, so, you know, the expectations, they've got Corey Maggette, they acquired him, uh, they got rid of a lot of cap when acquiring him, so that potentially could be good. Um, do you think that Joe Dumars realized his mistakes with Gordon and possibly Vill- uh, Villanueva? And maybe he's trying to get more cap again to make another move? Or? I think he's going to see it after this season with the way we perform. I mean, second worst in the East, that's really not a good rep. And as an owner, you don't want to hear that or see that on the court. Um, it remains to be seen whether he's trying to get more cap to require better players. But I don't know. Detroit Pistons basketball has kind of been in the rear view for the last handful of years. Not really people, they're not really a big name. They're not the top anymore like they used to be when they had Phillips and Hamilton and Prince when he was a lot younger. But I think that Dumars needs to rebuild. I mean, we still got Tayshawn. He's old as a dinosaur, in my opinion. Yeah, and speaking of Tayshawn, Tayshawn led the team in scoring against the Lakers. It, and and the, and the first game, Jonas Jarecko led the team in scoring uh, excuse me. It was it was it was Jarebko leading against the Lakers, and it was Tayshon versus the Suns. Now these are two guys that you know Tayshon, Dumar specifically kept him for the long run. Yeah. They got rid of Rip. They got rid of Chauncey. They got rid, you know, of Rashid Wallace. But they certainly see something in Tayshon that can contribute to this Detroit Pistons team. Do you see him as a long term contribution? I mean, it seems to me that Tayshon, you know, as well as he is the leading scorer, as well as he is a consistent now established NBA veteran, veteran. it seems to me that uh, I don't know in two, three years if they do get Drummond and Monroe developed that he will still be a consistent contributor. No, I, he's definitely getting up in there with, their, with the age. He's been here since he was a youngin, and now that he's taking on that leadership role, I think he needs to you know send that message to the younger players that Dumars brings into this team. 517-432-3893. Uh, Tayshaun Prince... Uh, leading the team in scoring, uh, you know, the, the, one of the games, and it, it begs to, you know, really answer the question: Is Tayshawn Prince going to be a consistent contributor and overall out, outright scorer? 
They've got certainly a young crop. We saw young, we saw Ronnie Stuckey go one for ten in his opening game. I mean, that is something that you know with high with as high as with high of a draft pick as Dumars took him. You know, and, and even with Brandon Knight, I mean, these are two guys you know that should be leaders by now. Brandon Knight, maybe you know, maybe a year or two more, but but with Ronnie Stuckey, I mean, this is. I mean, this is primetime basketball for a guy like this. And I'm sure they're looking at a contract extension, if not to give him one at all. Uh, let's look at it you know, from another perspective. They decided to keep Jonas Drebko. He did produce, but is he necessarily a, a guy that you're going to start every day? I'm not sure. So feel free to call in at 517-432-3893. You can also tweet us at 89FM Sports Rap. Uh, we do have... Uh, a couple other, you know, answers coming in up from the question of the week. Uh, uh, we actually do have a winner in Zachary Tadero. Uh, like I said earlier, congratulations. You did get the two right. Uh, but, yeah, uh, with this Piston team, uh, you know, Tayshaun Prince, it's amazing to see what, I mean, really how he's still producing. But let's look at it from another perspective. Let's look at it from Lawrence Frank as a head coach, David. Your thoughts on his coaching so far? Could he have done anything against... A potential NBA championship Laker team this year. Does he have a chance to lead the Lakers? No, I'm saying oh. that does Lauren Frank does does his play calling affect any of the losses that this team has had so far? Uh, definitely. I mean, it's preseason. Well, not preseason anymore. You figured by this. I mean, we all look at the Lakers. They didn't they didn't win until their fourth game into the NBA season. So the coaches are going to have their struggles with the players. I mean, you have the Lakers that have the essentials to make it to the playoffs and win a national championship. And then you look at the Detroit Pistons, and we have not that strong of a team, obviously, but you, as a coach, you need to know how to position them and how to play them. And um, obviously it hasn't been working out for the Pistons since they haven't won a, a game yet. So, I mean, he needs to figure out who fits with who, and he needs to figure it out quick. Absolutely. We will see if that comes in full circle with the remaining games this Piston team faces. Uh, before we get uh, to some Detroit Tiger talk, we're going to talk about the Lions real quickly. This team turning it around, getting the line hopeful, ready. Uh, Madden Curse, maybe no more. Calvin Johnson still consistently producing. Obviously, his injury's not keeping him out for very long. Nope. Uh, Matthew Stafford coming in and having a really, a really good game against this Jacksonville team. Uh, they did dominate. They looked great. Uh, they're now, you know, at 500 in a division that, you know, there certainly will be every team over 500. They're still in fourth place as a 500 team. Uh, this is a certainly a tough division, David. Yep. Uh, how do you analyze it? It seems that this Lion team is going to have a lot of struggles to even just be a wild card team. Yeah, definitely. And I saw the statistics and the rankings yesterday. And we're going to have to take one game at a time, and that's how every NFL team is. But first of all, we need to worry about Minnesota. We need to worry about those crucial division games that we have against Green Bay along with Chicago. They're having a great season right now. I didn't expect them to be a one-loss team already. And then you have the Packers, who we all know are going to be strong with the offense that they produce and how strong their defense is. Um. It's going to be tough, but we'll see how the NFC pans out with their teams. But the wild card would be something that I think the Lions might be able to grab, depending on their play from here on out. But um, we can only hope for the best. Now, with their game against Minnesota, some breaking news. Percy Harvin will be out. He will not get the light of day in dominating, potentially, this Lion team. How big of an impact is this, David, with Percy Harvin out? They're going to certainly have to stop a lot of Adrian Peterson, of course. Yeah. But with Percy Harvin out, that takes a lot out of the receiving and uh, a lot, a lot out of the secondary for the Lions. Yes, definitely. It's just one elite player. It's one less that you have to worry about. And we all know that we see the talent Adrian Peterson. So we stop the run. We force Ponder to make some critical passes. I mean... If we force them to the air and shut down that run, we can beat Minnesota. Well, see that. See, and I'm going to disagree because the way the secondary has had with all the off the field issues, I don't think that Percy Harvin out is going to matter because we're starting guys like Bill Bentley, you know, who's a third or fourth round pick and he's already seen the light of the day starting on a Detroit Lion team with no corners. Yeah, we're seeing a Detroit Lion team sign cornerbacks who have not seen the light of day on any other organization that they've picked up in free agency due to injuries. 
We've seen this line team drop a Chris Houston, you know, who has had a lot of off the field issues along with along with a, a plethora of other secondary guys. We've seen Louis Delmas out with injury. We've seen it all with this secondary. So personally, I think the secondary will not play well. And call it bold, call it, you know, you're a little negative Nancy, but I don't think that even with Percy Harvin out, it's going to matter. 517-432-3893. Will the Lions secondary continue for success against Minnesota? David and I want to know why. So before, if we do get a caller or two, let's talk about real quickly, David, the improvement with Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson. Uh, we saw the rise, and, the rise and fall. We saw Calvin Johnson drop balls in games previously. Now he's looking a lot better. Uh, your thoughts on them, David? Yeah, uh, definitely a good game for the Lions to win. Uh, Jacksonville not as strong as a team in the NFL, but it it's good to see that they're they're getting consistent now. They're get, they're getting points up on the board. They're not waiting till the fourth quarter to get the game rolling. It's nice to see Kelvin Johnson definitely get more touches. Him being healthy is obviously a key component in this Lions offense, and it and it's nice that Matthew Stafford and him can finally get those connections in. Absolutely. We will see if those connections continue for many games here on out. Uh, 7.47 uh, after the hour. We've got 13 minutes left in the show. And we've got about 11 minutes to talk about the Detroit Tigers and their offseason. We're going to bring in our producer, the guy behind the screen, Dylan. Uh, He's going to come in, talk a little bit about his thoughts on the Detroit Tigers in just a little bit. Uh, Before we bring in Dylan, David, let's start it off with all the rumors surrounding about who this team is going to sign. It started off with second base. A lot of people think this team needs a second baseman. Omar Infante, he's uh, he did provide that short-term relief. A lot of people think that we should have more of a, a different upgrade opposed to Infante. You know, he was a former Tiger. He did suit the role. But, David, do they sign a second baseman this offseason? Yes or no, and why? In my opinion, yeah. I... Infante is getting getting up there in age, and I think that we need to invest in someone that is going to grow and retire as a Tiger. Infante is he's he's putting his years here in a Detroit uniform, and I, in my own personal opinion, I think we need to move on. So let's bring in our producer Dylan with his thoughts on second base position. Dylan, are they going to be signing a second baseman this offseason? You know, I'm not quite sure about that, Alex. Thanks for having me talk. Uh, you know, I was really impressed with the way he came out and played in the postseason. Yeah. I was hoping, you know, when we go into this, I was like, okay, offseason, we'll find a new second baseman. But I was uh, I was pretty happy that we, with the way he actually performed. Yeah, absolutely. He did provide the short-term relief. He did have some very clutch hits when it came to that Yankees series. Uh, certainly, he is good around the bases. But here's where I'm going to differ with the two of you. And I'm going to say... Absolutely not. This team will not sign a second baseman. And this is why. They have a young guy named Nick Castellanos who is the prime, the juiciest apple and peach of this organization. And this guy will be a leader for many years to come. They don't want to trade him. They've had offers. There's been many chats in Tigers forums about you know what they're going to do in acquiring maybe a Cliff Lee, you know, Getting rid of Castellanos could be the guy to, you know, really, you know, the, the, the cue and, you know, the reactor to a team making a trade for the Tigers. But I think that with this team and what they're trying to do, I think having Nick Castellanos and how, how well he's performed would be such a detriment for this team to not play him. Let's talk about the history of AA players. We saw Alex Avila midseason two years ago, okay, called up. And was almost an unnamed. I mean, this is the son of Al Avila, who, you know, is very high up in the Tigers organization. Many people thought this was a stunt, you know, for him to get his son played. Uh, many people thought that he did not temporarily, temporarily with Gerald Laird uh, coming into his first year as a Detroit Tiger, did not think he would have what it takes. But he proved everyone wrong. Let's look at Avisael Garcia. This guy was certainly not the first guy to come up from Double A. Uh, many people thought that Castellanos, if anyone, anyone would get the call before him. But then it comes to the question. Uh, maybe the Toledo Mudheads, maybe the Erie Seawolves, maybe, maybe that those solid underground you know, major league organizations. Maybe they wanted to keep Castellanos there for a reason. So I'm going to ask you, David, to start off before we get to Dylan. Uh, do you agree with my Castellanos theory? Uh, do, you, uh, 
do you think that the the you know the younger double A teams do you, do you think they kept them there for fear and that they wanted to show him off and help that organization or is it more that he wasn't ready? Um, well, we'll never know if he's ready if we don't play him. And I think in this next Tigers season that we definitely need to give him a, a chance at second baseman like we we did with our outfield so much with Garcia and Barry. Like we saw so many different faces in the outfield. Was it make a difference if we can do that at second base? Especially when we're talking about him so much, you know, being this talent, this next baseman that could be in Detroit uniform for a while, how are we supposed to judge how good he is if we don't even bring him up and give him a chance now dylan is castellanos on superstardom is he gonna get the light of day you know uh i say tigers have are have a good history of giving people a shot we bring people up and put people down all back and forth all season all the time and yeah like you're saying if we don't bring him up we'll never know and when we do bring him up should we decide to look who he's playing around he's got some of the best guys yeah. that we just showed this season in the entire game to, to learn from and work with uh, and, and develop. Oh, absolutely. Let's look at, you know, aside from the guys in this organization, I mean, let's look at a guy like Jim Leland. He sure shows favoritism. He sure trusts his young guys. He sure has a lot of trust in the RR that we don't want to say necessarily all the time. But, you know, with a guy like Ryan Rayburn, who has played second base, who plays multiple positions, Castellanos could certainly get the light of day to see another position in the infield. You know, it could happen with injury. It could happen because there's no cap available for a guy like Castellanos that this team could spend. I mean, if they drop money, it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to handle that second base position. Which brings me to my next point. Article coming out today about the free agency in the MLB. And many people were, were, were on the bandwagon of Josh Hamilton. And when I say on the bandwagon, there's there's two certain uh, columnists out there that think that Josh Hamilton has the potential possibility to end up as a Detroit Tiger. And this is what they said. First guy coming from Matt Snyder from CBS Sports. Snyder said this, quote, Mike Illich wants a title and he's going to spend until he gets it. Getting back Victor Martinez and slotting Josh Hamilton left field may do the trick, so the Tigers will overpay for Hamilton's services. Sure, they haven't seemed to slow much. In, they haven't seemed to show much interest just yet. But where were they on Prince Fielder until they actually signed him? End quote. David, do you? First of all, is there any possibility at all, in your opinion, that they do sign Hamilton? And how would he fit in with this team? I mean, this is a team with Quentin Barry. They've got, certainly, their outfielders, you know, a, a bunch of different guys set. They didn't expect, extend an offer to Delman Young. So where does it leave you when it comes to the outfielders? I mean, there is a possibility. It's definitely going to cost us a lot of cash because he's an elite player in this league. Um, as far as placing him in this lineup, I think it'd be great. It's just another big bat that we can rely on besides Cabrera. If we have another guy that's pl- hitting plus 40 home runs in a season, that's definitely going to add to the offense and help our pitching out a lot. As far as replacing Quittenberry, yeah, I think that's a no-brainer. If we bring in Hamilton, you won't be seeing him because... Obviously, he's a better player, and he produces a lot more. But I think he'd be a good fit. We can't count him out, because like the guy said about Prince Fielder, we didn't know until the day he signed. But if we do, it's definitely going to be a lot of money. And let's look at past history. Let's look at the Pudge Rodriguez rival or, uh, lottery You know, back in early 05. I mean, this was a team that you know, Pudge certainly tried to change it around. Uh, many people thought that you know a guy who won a World Series with the Florida Marlins certainly... Detroit would be the last place, besides for the money, that he would end up. But let's look at it from another perspective of of Mike Gillich. He did say that he will do anything to win the title. He acquired Sanchez and Fonte with playoff hopes of a title, but they couldn't come through in the World Series. But now, are they going to drop more than $200 million with their salary cap overall on a guy like Josh Hamilton? Dylan? I mean, Mike Gillich isn't getting any younger. Uh, he's had a great winning team in the Red Wings, but he's never put it together. I mean, it's been 80, since 84 with the Tigers. We haven't had a, a World Series come to Detroit in a long time. So I think he wants to see it happen, and I think he's willing to make the, the or you know drop the money that it requires to make a winning team happen. 
Yeah, I'm going to read a tweet, actually, from Max King, who is on our Sports Draft panel. He says, Keep Infante, let Castellanos marinade. Too much young talent wasted to bring in Hamilton. So, you know, even with this young talent, I mean, I'm going to disagree with Max here because let's look at a guy like Quentin Barry. Quentin Barry, you know, he's getting late now into his career. You know, he did come up from AAA this year, but sure, he is an energizer. Many teams passed on the guy, thought he was done, but he, he certainly proved people wrong. But I'm not sure if this guy is going to be on the uphill climb from here. Is he going to be a guy hitting over 300 consistently year in, year out for the next two, three years, you know, where your 30-year range is your prime MLB time? I'm not so sure. But they didn't give Delman Young his contract back. They don't have a prime outfielder, besides from maybe Austin Jackson, but they don't have a power outfielder who's consistent. We tried Brendan Bosch, it didn't work out. We tried, we... <laughs> We definitely tried, you know, with Ryan Rayburn, and it didn't work out. So, you know, if Josh Hamilton does come, guys, uh, they were projected as a World Series favorite before. They have Victor Martinez coming back again. There's a lot of cap room that the Tigers are going to have to work with. Uh, Let's start with you, David. Uh, What's your ideal move for this Tiger team, if not Hamilton? If we get Hamilton, I think we win the World Series. I, I'd jump on the bandwagon there, if that if that's what you call it. But acquiring a player like him definitely helps with a team that struggled in the last series of the, you know, for the title. Um, other than Hamilton, I like you said the second brace, giving him a chance, bringing him up from Double A. But um, other moves, I don't think so. All right, so yeah, I'm gonna differ because I think there are other moves with this organization that are very key. Sure, the Tigers pitching was great. Scherzer looked like a Cy Young candidate. But Dylan, let's let's bring it over to you. They've got I mean, a guy. So you bring up Hamilton. You bring Hamilton in. Where do you put him in the lineup? I mean, big bat, big bat, big bat. Like, I, I, like where would you put him? Yeah, you know that's the other thing. I mean, you've got Cabrera three, Cabrera, uh, uh, Prince Fielder at four, uh, and then you got two lefties. You're gonna put lefties back to back. Uh, maybe you'd put Prince at the three, Cabrera at four as a righty, and then maybe you'd sling in there Josh Hamilton. And that- I mean, in it's not going to hurt having people who can produce right. runs all the time. That's never going to hurt anything. But uh, I think we're pretty solid. Maybe what we need to start looking at is, you know, closers and, and then, finish out. For sure, and that brings me up to my next point, and I'm going to go with pitching. Sure, they had Cy Young candidate and Max Scherzer. We've got two minutes to go. But they did have, you know, a guy like Verlander who did stay consistent. But now Honorable Sanchez is a free agent. There's, there's no confidentiality on whether he will have an extended offer at the end of this year. Uh, do they bring him back? Verlander is signed through 2014. He does have two years left. Any younger guys like Casey Crosby or Andy Oliver that are going to come up? We don't you know. You know, I, I'm, I'm not the greatest person to ask right now about this because I'm still riding high on. We went so far in the last series. I yeah. love just about everyone right now still, mm-hmm. even though they let me down right in the last couple games. But right. Just a bad time to have a bad couple games. Absolutely. And I guess it remains to be seen whether they sign back Sanchez personally. I, I don't think that they should extend Sanchez another deal. Uh, I think, yeah, he was great for the short term. I don't think they necessarily should, but I think they will. I think that they want to see him pan out. I mean, he certainly has a high ceiling. Uh, he certainly has years to go when it comes to you know, pitching prime age. And uh, with Sanchez, with the, the slight glimpse of his success that could be as a Detroit Tiger... It's not certainly uh, a possibility whether he will still be here. So we'll see what Dabrowski does from here on out. We've got 30 seconds left in the show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about our goon of the week. This week's goon, Kentucky head football coach, Joker Phillips. Uh, yeah, he's certainly the Joker. He gets shut out at home, losing 40 to nothing to Vanderbilt. Uh, that's the first time in almost 20 years the Kentucky Wildcats are shut out at home, period. Their offense is detrimental. 121st in the NCAA in passing attempts and points per game. 110th in defense. Uh, this is might be Kentucky's first winless season since 2000. And that's not saying a lot. David, your thoughts on our Goon of the Week? Um, definite Goon. Being shot at home is never good. Um, also, the NHL still in a lockout. Canceled games through the 30th of November and officially canceled the Winter Classic over the week. Absolutely. Of course, the hardening news of the NHL still taking a hold. That is the end of the Spartan Sports Rap. Thanks for tuning in. David and I and we at the Sports Rap panel 
will be here next week for our very first annual sports rap chat that will happen once a month. We're going to be touching issues on the NHL lockout, a little bit about concussions in football, and being a student athlete. Those are the topics that you should stay tuned for next week. I'm Alex Shark, and to my left, I'm David DeFeer. And behind the board, we've got Dylan, and we'll be back next week. You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89FM.